Welcome to another edition of Top Lines and Tales. This week we're sponsored by Harbro, manufacturers and suppliers of quality livestock nutrition. We start this week by walking through a history of the Royal Highland Show, now coming into its 200th year, and then follow that with a chat to to the current chief executive of the show about its modern-day role and the up-and-coming event this time. The Royal Highland and Agricultural Society of Scotland has its origins back in 1784. It was formed to work alongside agriculture in Scotland and to promote research and educate, and back then it was simply named as the Highland Society of Edinburgh. In its first annual book of transactions, it quotes, The society was derived from a meeting of gentlemen, natives of or connected with the Highlands. This leather-bound volume would go on to be repeated every year from then on, and copies of it have been preserved in digital format up till 1969, and are available to view on the RHASS website archives. They cover a variety of topics and make for some extremely interesting reading, I have to say. For example, in the 1878 volume, there's a 20-page history of the Galloway breed, whilst in a few volumes later we get a great insight into the origins of the Scottish black-faced sheep, and in 1901 a table of statistics show that we were annually importing half a million cattle into the UK at the turn of the century. The Society's first office bearers were the Duke of Argyll, who would be President, the Earl of Moray, Lord Advocate of Scotland, Sir James Grant of Grant, John MacDonald of Clan Ronald, both of which have a nice ring to them, I have to say, as vice presidents, and William MacDonald was the secretary. Plus there were 30 directors and 10 extraordinary directors, so quite a throng of them. The society set up offices at 39 South Bridge Street in Edinburgh, where it stayed for 15 years, until moving to the King's Arms Tavern on High Street, which sounds altogether a more sensible place to have your offices, and... Uh, it later moved again to George IV Bridge in 1866, where it stayed until the 1930s. The first event that the Highland Society held was a ploughing match at Hodham Estates in Dumfries and Galloway on the 7th of November 1801, which one imagines was quite a risky thing to do in that area at that time of year, especially if they had the rainfall like we are getting now. The Society continued to publish its annual book containing prize essays and studies in agriculture, which are in themselves highly fascinating. But in addition, in 1905 they appointed Henry Mackenzie to inquire into the authenticity of poems by Osan. For those unaware, this was a collection of poetry written by James Macpherson some 40 years earlier, who claims to have gathered them from various Scottish sources, including some written on a large stone he'd found somewhere, and translated them from Gaelic. Believe it or not, this sparked huge controversy, and his ethics were hotly contested by the Irish, who claimed Osan's material to be of their origin, and whether Mackenzie proved the original writings to be as they were purveyed, or whether Macpherson had simply made them all up, still remains to be deliberated on, although you can buy Henry's book, should you wish, on eBay for a few hundred dollars. Anyway, the first Highland show was held in 1822 in Canongate in Edinburgh, just near where the Parliament building stands now, which, which might mean we have a bicentenary coming up. They had gate admissions of 1,053 people, netting a total of £51 and 10 shillings. From then, the show moved around the eight areas of Scotland each year, the areas being Perth, Stirling, Strathclyde, Aberdeen, Lothian, Borders, Dumfries and Galloway, and Highland. The livestock results of the first show and subsequent shows didn't make it into the Book of Transactions for a good number of years. In fact, it's the 1948 show in Aberdeen that they first appeared. In it, there are 119 short-horned cattle, 116 polled cattle, 27 Aberdeenshire cattle, 21 West Highland cattle, 
27 crossbred oxen, 23 any breed, and 19 extra cattle, which seemingly were beasts that uh, were too old to fit into the allocated age ranges. In all, this amounted to 360 cattle, 105 horses, and 205 sheep. A pretty fair entry, I would say, for a travelling show. Noticeably, none of the breeds had an overall championship, just a lot of medals for each section. There were three judges in the short-on classes, one of whom, William Tor, bred the reserve champion bull and also showed the best heifer. An interesting conundrum, and one would assume that uh, he stood out of judging those classes. Among the Aberdeen, Angus and Galloway breed, note there were three breeds back then, but all in the same section, we see two of the founding fathers of the modern Aberdeen-Angus breed, Hugh Watson of Keeler and William McCombie of Tilly Four, divvying up the spoils. In the Highland breed, judges Donald MacDonald and Alexander Craig gave most of the tickets to the Duke of Sutherland, with the Duke of Richmond also getting a few medals with his four-year-old ox. Donald MacDonald also judged the Blackies, giving the top prize to William Todd, while in the Chiviots, Donald Horn of Langwell won every class. Hugh Watson and the Duke of Richmond both also feature in the Leicester and Southdown prize list. Now let's fast forward to the 100th show in 1921 at Stirling, and we see the short-on with the biggest entry of 94, and the Aberdeen Angus, who are now one breed, with just 59, the Galloways with 42, and the Highlands 52. There are also 64 Ayrshires and 52 Frisians, bringing in a similar total of 367 cattle. There are now 279 horses and 301 sheep spread across five breeds. The short ones were won that year by a two-year-old bull Bridgebank Paymaster from the famous Bertie Marshall from Stranra, while Buxom Maid of Connage, a rather cruelly named two-year-old heifer, won the Angus for Gilchrist Macbeth of Denaira, a herd that would later go on to breed the famed bull Keystone of Denaira. The Highland section was won by a cow from the Earl of South Esk, better known as James Carnegie, from Kinnaird Castle, another name immortalised in the early days of Angus cattle. I have to say the heifer in the photo looks like she's seen more meal times than meals, so she probably came in straight off the hills. The President Medal for the Best Clydesdale Colt was won by Andrew Montgomery of Nether Hall, while the mare was owned by William Brown of Bishopton. Both were bred by J and D Donald, Leathan and Fivey. The blackest were won by Matthew Hamilton of Woolfords, a breeder still at the very top today, while Gilchrist Macbeth from Denaira also hauled in the silverware in the Border Leicesters. Well-known breeders, the Templeton brothers from Sandinair, won the Oxford breed. In the dairy section, Adam Montgomery from Les Nessac won the Ayrshires, and yet another herd, later known for its Angus prowess, the McRobert family from Doonside in Tarland, won the Frisians. By the mid-twenties, J. Ernest Kerr of Harveston was started to rule the roost, and not only in the Angus, but in a multitude of breeds. His family of Erica cows would go on and pick up no less than nine supreme champions in the Angus breed, including Julie Erica, who won three on the bounce from 1936 to 1938. The show was cancelled during the war years of 1939 to 45, and then, in 1948, King George bestowed it with its royal title, whilst paying a visit with his wife when the show was at Inverness. This was the first time a reigning monarch had visited the show, and there was quite a fanfare about it. By 1960, the society had acquired its current site at Ingleston for £55,000, where it was to permanently stay. The Queen and Prince Philip attended the first event, her being president of the society that year. A new layout for the Edinburgh site positioned the main ring at its centre, but apart from the big hosts, there weren't many permanent buildings back then. Some great men were involved in that procurement, including Jock Campbell from Wedderley and J. Ernest Kerr, both top Angus breeders, of course. The attendance was 98,000, more than 20,000 down on the previous show in Aberdeen, and the show made a loss of £6,000, despite the good weather and a visiting monarch. 
By then there were nearly 800 cattle, 400 plus horses and 586 sheep. These were housed in wooden frame marquees that would remain their home for many, many years. Also to mark the occasion, the Queen gave a cup to the society to be known as the Queen's Cup, presented to the best beef animal in the show. It was won by a three-year-old Angus cow, Evesna of Bywell, owned by Viscount Allendale, with a short-on from James Durner reserve with Upper Mill Seafield. This short-on bull paired with Princess Rosabel went on to win the Pears Cup, and when joined by lovely Laureen, also took the B.M. Durno Cup back home to Upper Mill. The reserve in the Angus was Black Bell of Thorn from Alan Grant, by Juvil Eric of Manor Hill, and ably brought out by Bert Rugg. Fred Fraser from Idvis won the fat cattle section with a pure Angus steer, also bred by Alan Grant. The Farming News Trophy for the team of four was won by the Galloways, with a group that included cattle from Sir John Buchanan Jardine and James Bigger of Chapleton. Shetland Pony section was won by H.P. Slay of St John's Wells of Fivey, with J.E. Kerr coming in reserve, both of whom who would have hauled a lot of silverware from the show during the 20th century, with Harry Slay also winning the reserve in the North Country Chiviots that year, which was won by Tom Elliott of Blackhawk, Galashields, out of an entry of 156 head. Robert Forsyth from Whithorn won the Border Leicesters, and Tom Brewis of Eastfield won the Oxford Sheep, with Matthew Templeton Reserve. Another well-known face at the show was Godfrey Bowen, world champion sheep shearer who demonstrated the Bowen method of shearing, invented by himself and his brother Ivan, which is still adopted by most shearers to this day. That year the Royal Highland Show had 30 acres of machinery on display, as farming evolved seamlessly into mechanisation. After a wet Highland show in 1964, and there have been many I'm sure, it was decided to put a tarmac road around the main ring area. It just so happened that that year had seen the demise of Charter Hill Motor Racing Circuit, and with its secretary Ian Scott Watson being a farmer and RHASS member, it was agreed that they would use the showground as a racetrack. After raising £20,000, racing legend and borders man Jim Clark helped design the first circuit, and by 1965 the track was open for events. With corners named farmers, bankers, foresters, shepherds, brewers, vets and merchants, the track was deemed as pretty challenging. The circuit ran for the next 20 years, but its finances started to dwindle. Sir Jackie Stewart put forward a plan to take it over in the late 80s, but that fell through and the circuit folded. However, it was reinstated in 2012 to allow people to have a track experience in luxury sports cars such as Ferraris and Lamborghinis, and in 2015 a 50-year celebration was held there. The Royal Highland Exhibition Hall was opened in 1979, a big investment in a building that would be multifunctional and went on to be used for many events, including the Scottish Winter Fair. By the 90s, the site had expanded to 280 acres and many of the buildings had become permanent fixtures. The well-used McRobert Pavilion was the meeting place for members and would have been able to tell a few good stories, I'm sure. This year it's been replaced, as we'll hear shortly. The Royal Highland Centre was further improved by the building of the Quality Hotel near the livestock entrance. The site has also been used for a music venue, with artists such as David Bowie, Genesis and Queen all performing there through the 80s. And of course, the place that we will all recall the most is the Herdsman's Bar, an iconic building in its own right that would spill with drink for nigh on a week, its revellers literally spilling out in a sea of good-hearted celebrations. Eventually, the antiquated but characteristic wooden cattle buildings, seen of so many fantastic kiss parties, would be replaced with a state-of-the-art new building, again built for multi-use. This massive building can house all the cattle during the show and is ideally positioned close to the judging areas. It too has a nightlife that, thankfully, the public don't get privy to. The Royal Highland Centre now boasts 18,000 square metres of covered space and by 2019 gate entry for the show had risen to nearly 200,000 with entries of 1,200 cattle, 2,000 sheep, 2,000 horses, nearly 6,000 animals in total. And last year would have been its 60th year for the show at the Ingleston site. 
1999, and the RHASS also started the RHET, the Royal Highland Educational Trust. I'm delighted to be joined now by the show's Chief Executive Officer, Alan Laidlaw. Alan, uh, welcome to the podcast. Alan, the RHASS has many functions, but uh, the show being just part of that, what, what else does the society get up to? It's a broad question, Andy. Um, we, we get up to all sorts of things um, because our remit's very open. It's all about promoting agriculture. Um, one of the, the lines that we use around the Royal Highland Show is the best of food, farming and, and rural life. And as a charity, our remit is to support and, and develop all parts of that sector. So it might be helping RET, it might be helping RSABI, it might be making an individual award to someone who wants to travel or to wants to study. So it's it's pretty broad. Um, and one of the main things that pulls that all together is, is the Royal Highland Show, where all of those aspects of the charitable work can come together, some of which we are delivering ourselves, like the livestock competitions, bits that we are supporting, like the Young Farmers competitions, or the pieces of, of our work are completely sort of delivered by other people. So it's it's a pretty wide and, and really varied remit, really. Okay. Uh, I just lost a little bit of bandwidth there, but I think we're right. Can you still hear me, uh, Alan? I'm good, yeah. Yeah, okay. You mentioned Rhett. In fact, do you mind knocking your video off? It might just help me if you don't mind. Not that I don't want to yeah, see Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, uh, this is a, a podcast, is, is obviously only audio. Um you mentioned RET just now. Can you tell me a little bit more about RET and, and what, what it does? Yeah, I mean, RET's, RET's um, in some respects, the, uh, the piece that people find most interesting around the society um, started just over 21 years ago. It was about bridging that gap, about people understanding what happens in the countryside, about probably an, an ever-disconnected consumer um, being further away from where their food came from than probably any previous generation. So RET is all about letting young people know where their food comes from, what happens in the working countryside, and giving them an opportunity to, to learn and explore. And that might be done through farm visits, which are hugely exciting to, to kids as they get out on farm. It might be done with a farmer speaker visit going into the school, or it could be done as an online seminar supporting teachers to know where, you know, um, what the food story is. So Rhett's, you know, huge credit to RAS and to Rhett, but more importantly to the whole network, because Rhett is is supported um, through all the different MCIs, the countryside initiatives all over Scotland by volunteers who are really happy to talk about the food and agriculture story. They're excited to talk about it. Um, and, it, you know, it's testament to where Rhett comes from. Now, over the last few day, years, um, Scottish Government have, have been very keen to promote and engage those school visits because they recognise that in a, in a country that's celebrated for food and drink and farming and its landscapes for tourism, that they want the young people of the country to know what goes on out there. Absolutely, and a, a hugely important, uh, hugely important uh, mission it has. Um, going to the, the show itself, lovers. Last year, obviously, was a massive loss to the whole country, but particularly to the Royal Highland Show. And you'd have been a long way down the organisation route for the show before you had to end up pulling the plug. That must have had a huge uh, financial impact on, on Russ. Uh, yeah, it did. Um, it was it was a huge loss on money, though, in terms of the community. That Alan, you, I've um, just lost you there. Can you just say that? Give me that one again, please. It's quite important yeah. information to drop. Thank you. 
um, beyond financial loss, it was a huge loss for the community. Um, Andy, it was, you know, people plan for the Royal Highland Show. They, you know, I've, I've listened to some of your podcasts and people saw it, say as soon as they, they saw an animal, you know, land on the floor, they knew they had a good one. And they, they want to bring that to Ingolston to, to put it against the best of the best to see if, if they can win. And I think the the show last year was was huge to everyone at a time where there was huge disappointment and uncertainty about what was going on. And mm -hmm. um, we we had a Ret Gala dinner at Ingolston um, in February last year, and people were just starting to become aware of COVID. And they said, oh, this COVID thing is not going to have an impact for the show, is it, Alan? And I kept saying, I hope not. Um, but already at that point that we were we were starting to work out that it could well do. And you know, three weeks later, the decision um, was taken by the board to cancel the the show um, because it was the only thing we could do at the time. Sure. It was early enough, probably, in in, in the process. Um, you know, I would hate to have uh, been in the position that the show was cancelled in in late May or early June. But you know, it, it's it's a real challenge on that timing. Mm -hmm. Yes, it certainly was uh, was early enough, and last year would have been the 60th show, or the 60th year, should I say, on the Ingolston site, and I've discussed that earlier in the podcast, but the, the site's evolved in, in those 60 years, hasn't it? Can you tell me what uh, developments the society has been up to in these past uh, couple of years on, on the showground site? Yeah, and that's probably one of the biggest frustrations for last year, Andy, is that we, we completed the new um, members building, the replacement for the much-loved McRobert Pavilion, um, uh, on time and on budget. And, and we were literally handed the keys from the contractor with practical completion the day before lockdown. Uh, and we locked it up and, and left it empty for a long time. So that's that's probably the most obvious uh, change in the showground. So when people uh, get a chance to come to Ingolston, um, when restrictions allow, um, they will see a fantastic new building in, in the heart of, of Ingolston, where the McRobert once sat. Um, and that's really exciting. That, as I say, is the obvious part of development. We've been continuing with our infrastructure development over the last three or four years, where we've put a lot of work into um, things more mundane than members' buildings, like drainage and water supplies and, and things like that. But they've been really important for the long-term sort of sustainability of the site. And actually, the, the showcase that we're putting on in a couple of weeks' time wouldn't have been deliverable um, with such ease had we not done a lot of the investment into our power and uh, Wi-Fi and fibre connectivity in particular around the site. So, yeah, the, the site uh, under the ground is in much better fettle than it was a few years ago, which farmers will understand if you don't get your drainage right and, and you don't get your, your infrastructure right, things don't work as well when you want them to. Um, and then probably the, the slightly more shiny cherry on top is, is the new building. Uh-huh. And, and am I uh, right in thinking that uh, the Highland Society has been able to put a little bit back into the community by using one of the buildings as a vaccination uh, um, station? That's right. Absolutely. As I, as I drove into Ingolston this morning, I saw a, a good flow of people coming from the North Car Park. And um, so we had members uh, building being used um, from February as a vaccination centre. And then just in the last few weeks, the, the Lowland Hall which most people would be familiar as the, the food hall has been turned into Edinburgh's largest vaccination centre. Um, and it's just, I think, from a from a society point of view, in a year where our buildings can't be used for what they're normally used, whether it's the Royal Highland Show or all the other events we host at Ingolston, um, it couldn't uh, be a more fitting use to, to help be part of the solution and um, getting Edinburgh's vaccine um, sort of centres up and running and, and helping hopefully a return to more normality in the coming months. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And if we can move on to this year's event, it was a, a brave move to stage a show this year. And it, who made that decision? Where did, where did that decision come from and when? So it, it's the board. Um, we, we talked last year, Andy, probably in July, post, post not having a show. And we talked about the gap in the showing calendar. We talked about the gap socially uh, um, in terms of the Royal Highland show being missed. And we said at that point, we would do everything we possibly could. We'd leave no stone unturned in looking to have something this year. And that was the, the, the mandate that the board gave us. Um, and that's what the, the team looked at over the whole of the, the tail end of last year. We were very clear that um, taking decisions in January and February was going to be hugely challenging um, because of what we anticipated would happen uh, in terms of cases and spikes. So we, we developed a sort of twin track brief to try and see where we could get to. Nobody wants to cancel the show. The board pushed us as a staff team very hard to, to do whatever we could. Um, and we put in a proposal there and, and you know developed that as sort of plan B. And when it became clear through engagement with Scottish Government's then National Deputy Clinical Director that plan A was not going to happen, we were in a position to then speed up plan B, which was which was showcase. And you know, it was it was a brave decision by the board, but um, one that I'm glad that we've been in a position to, to to go forward with, and one that we're really looking forward to. Good, yeah, and excited about. Can you tell us a little bit more about sort of what format it will it will take? Yeah, so um, it's it's an online uh, you know broadcast of a, a live event. So ultimately, um, for those of you who are into livestock, there is still going to be some absolutely top quality livestock at Ingleston. And instead of a, a ring full of people being watched uh, on the ringside by lots of their peers, they'll be broadcast live on the on the showcase website. They will be able to watch different streams. There's, there's four different streams over seven days. We've, we've spread the competitions out to allow for um, uh, social distancing and, and keep, keep um, as, as few people on site as possible. And, you know, there will still be the best of those competitions, whether it's show jumping or whether it's, um, you know, beef or, or dairy. And the, we've been really pleased with the, the livestock response in particular. Um, we get that lots of people show in the circuit and we get that they want to take animals to, to different places to get most exposure for the effort of, of breaking and training and, and dressing. But we've been really pleased with the, the entries um, that have come forward. Can you give me an idea of the numbers we're going to expect livestock-wise? Yes, yeah, so we've got over 1,100 livestock entries. There's you know, nearly 250 beef, um, 80 dairy, and including different classes, um, showmanship and, and calf classes. So um, looked at the, the dairy challenges for, for not being a, a sort of four-day show. Um, 775 sheep, I think, um, including a, a, a sort of barnstorming entry from, from Texels and Shetlands. Um, and, you know, a, a strong showing from the goats as well, over 80. So... There's there's some really really strong classes, um, and you know we were we were conscious and, and we did to go out to the showing community and ask you know who was going to come and what they were going to bring, and we wanted to make sure that we did this um, at the right level at the right time, and, and it feels like we're just coming to the right time at the moment. Uh, and you have uh, uh, made a fantastic initiative by putting in the beef lines anyway, uh, a lot of young judges in there, which uh, has been very much appreciated across the community, I think. There's some great talent out there and it's always very difficult 
judges, but when we were doing something different this year, the, the chief stewards were very clear that that's the direction that they wanted to go. Um, yeah, and the response from the community has been phenomenal. Um, you know, we all know brilliant judges um, and they all, you know, get a, a chance at some point. And, and I think it's going to be really exciting. And actually from a, from a, um, a, a observer's point of view, I think it could be really exciting because they're going to get a different view of judging. You know, you're going to get more of a live commentary. I know you're um, lined up handy to be involved in that on the on the sheep side of things. And I think that for me is about widening how you can enjoy the Royal Highland Show. You know, there are plenty of people that can watch, um, you know, cattle or, or sheep be judged, but maybe not understand. And for me, you know, one of my highlights at a normal Royal Highland show is, is watching the interbreed beef teams on, on a Saturday. And, you know, just being part of the crowd, asking questions. Oh, I like the red ones. What about the white ones? Oh, well, what about the Highlanders? They're so, you know, they're so charismatic or I love the Belties. And actually that commentary angle of things, I think, on the online side will, will help get new people interested in what we're doing, I hope. Great. And, and can I ask from a technical point of view, this is obviously a live showcase. Will people be able to dial into it later on after the event? Will it stay stay online for a while? Yes, it will. And that, that's great. So people can sit live and if they're, they're desperate to watch one particular element of the show, they can they can log on at the time of that. But the vast majority of that content will be edited and, and made available after the event. Um, so, I, I mean, there's a couple of hundred hours of, of content that's going to be live. Um, there's also a, a magazine show um, on the Sunday, which will will summarise the, the best of the content for the week as well. So um, the, at the moment, the plan is for most of that content to be available for up to three months after the after the event, which will give new audiences a chance to, to go there. So whether you want to sit and watch Beef Cattle Judging on the Monday or Tuesday or the, the Royal Highland Showcase main event on the Sunday, hopefully there'll be an opportunity for, for different people to engage at different times, whether that's, you know, sat on the sofa with a glass of something cold or having a group of friends around to discuss, you know, the, the judging at the time when it's happening. And hopefully we can cater for all of those things. And there's a, a big emphasis of, of making sure that the, the quality of the streaming is high, working with really good um, production team, and um, we've got Simon Cousins, who used to work for BBC Landward, helping us. We are making sure that the um, show jumping competitions are, are covered by some of the best in the business. And, and that it's all about that being immersive and, and getting people an opportunity to learn more about the Royal Highland Show in a normal year under some pretty difficult circumstances. And obviously, educational, if they're going to be listening, I don't know about from me, but they're going to be listening to, to people commentating on that. There's an element of learning to people who maybe wouldn't necessarily watch their livestock if they were at the show. They may be in the beer tent or wherever. And our listeners, just, just for our listeners overseas there, this can be watched from all over the world, of course. So we're going to bring in a whole new uh, a raft of viewing and a new audience uh, globally. And that, Andy's a really interesting part about the, the Royal Highland Showcase. Um, you know, lots of people travel to the Royal Highland Show on an annual basis, um, but, you know, that's a, a cost and it's time, whereas this gets to um, do it with ease. Um, and hopefully we can increase people coming to the Royal Highland Show in, in the future. And I think that opportunity is exciting. We've been working with our, our other organisation partners, such as the Royal Agricultural Society of the Commonwealth. And, um, you know, we've been talking to, to some of the team at the Royal Sydney Show. 
and, and they're excited that some of their exhibitors are going to be watching this. So, yeah, if people get a chance to log on to royalhighlandshowcase.org at any time from anywhere in the world, um, we'll be excited to show them, you know, the best of Scottish livestock, the best of Scottish food and farming, which is ultimately what we're all about. And, and can I ask, it's probably a bit early to ask this question, but if it is successful, would it be something you continue carrying on doing? Even, I mean, your contemporaries, the Royal Welsh Show, pretty much the whole thing is televised, despite the, the gate numbers they get. Would you consider this carrying this on another year at the same sort of level for, for people still to be able to watch from home as well as going to the event? Yeah, I think you're right. It is early to, to say. I think we've been looking at our different offerings the last few years and um, our uh, lead on the show Mark Curry, our director of ops and, and David Tennant and I, uh, David's responsible for livestock and competitions, you know we were we were talking about um, online virtual um, VR offerings from the Royal Highland Show for the last two or three years and this has really probably fast forwarded that opportunity. I think for me the Royal Highland Show is about our members and about people and while we can stream the best of livestock across the world Actually, it's about getting up close and personal. The sights, the smells, the sounds of the Royal Highland Show is what we talk about in a normal year. And actually, that's what I would like to see. And it's the coming together of people, the sharing of ideas. You know, the, the society is a couple of hundred years old and, and it's, you know, for 200 years, um, you know, that next year's our bicentenary. It'll be the 200th anniversary of the first show. It's about people coming together and learning and celebrating about food and farming and livestock. And that's probably the most integral part of it. If we can then, through the use of technology, make that available to a wider audience, that's fantastic. But to me, I, I want people at Ingolston celebrating the best of food and farming together and coming together, like your podcast is doing, to share stories and you know share shared experience of what's been happening over the last year, because it's not been an easy year for 18 months probably now. Um, and we want people to come together and, and have that opportunity to, to have a bit of chat as well. Definitely, definitely. And for all, it's nice to watch it on the television. It would be nice to watch it on the television when we can't get there. Everybody and everybody actually wants to be there at that event. And uh, there'll be a little bit of jealousy this year, the ones who are there, whether the ones who, uh, who can't attend. So let's hope by next year this one's coming around. I have to ask one question. Um, I don't have to ask it. I will ask one question. Uh, how is this event being funded this year? Is, is this looking to be a profitable operation? Yeah, so um, the funding side of things, it's a, I suppose it's a, it's a joint investment from the society and Scottish Government and Events Scotland have, have significantly supported uh, the showcase. Um, and that's because they recognise the value to Scottish agriculture of, of what we do. Um, and also to the events industry, you know, the events supply chain that looks after the Royal Highland Show and all of our other events throughout the year. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to make a fortune off it. I think, you know, break even is, is where we are aiming. Um, sponsors have been fantastic. The the um, the sector has been fantastic. So it's a, I suppose it's a three-way partnership between um, our sponsors, uh, Scottish government, the society, and its membership. You know, in terms of supporting what we're doing, um, and that's that for me is really exciting because, as I said, the last thing we wanted to do was have an effective three-year gap from 2019 show to to 2022. Sure. Sure. Uh, Alan, I know you're a busy man. I've uh, enjoyed having a bit of your time there. I think we're a little bit more informed now as to what is going on in this event. And just remind us, I think is the it's the, uh, Monday the 14th. Is that right? It starts and the event will be on pretty much for, for a whole week? 
Yeah, no, the beef cattle uh, Monday through to the, the following Sunday. Um, RoyalHighlandShowcase.org is, is where you can go to uh, have a look and see what it is. There's how-to videos available so people can work out how, what best format to screen it through their TV um, or, or however they want to do it. And, and really, we want to try and make it as accessible as possible. So hopefully people will, will get engaged. It's not the same as being at Ingleston um, with your friends and family and your your community but hopefully people will enjoy this this year and then come along next year thank you very much alan i'm looking forward to being there myself as part of your team and i'm sure our listeners will wish you the most uh, utmost success the, with the royal highland showcase so i know you're busy so uh, thanks very much for taking the time to speak to me thanks for your time as well andy and uh, good luck to everyone competing and coming along all right, cheers, Alan. That's the suppliers of quality commercial and pedigree feeds and expert nutritional advice. Visit their website or find them on Facebook for more information. And while on the subject of Facebook, why don't you visit the Top Lines and Tales Facebook page where you'll find photographs and more information to back up this episode.